also, as the video said today, uh, is about the shepherds. And, you know, if you think about the role the shepherds uh, experienced and played in all this, it's one of hope and joy. And uh, that's, that's obviously what we want. But I'm going to start a little bit differently this morning. I want us to begin uh, in something that we all can uh, relate to. I want to talk to you a little bit about what some of you may experience as some of the trauma and heartaches of Christmas's past. Um, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the quirky relatives that showed up or the political discussions that eventually came up at the dining table, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of trauma. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the real trauma uh, that came from Black Friday madness, okay? I'm, I'm talking about uh, when the kids were little, those must-have toy searches uh, that, that took place, right? You know, uh, some of the incredible links that parents went you know, we go to, to to get the right toy at the right year, right? And, you know, maybe somebody here was a part of that, uh, you know, part of that craziness, right? Uh, to get the stuff they, they wanted. Uh, you know, if you, uh, for example, uh, had young children in the 90s, uh, you might remember Tickle Me Elmo, okay? Right. Tickle Me Elmo, oh, yeah, Tickle Me Elmo. There were, back then, uh, that thing was in short supply, and there were, People like who would buy one and then sell it again for like a thousand dollars, you know, because somebody had to have it for their kid. And you think about Tickle Me Elmo today, that was just a little stuffed animal that went into fits of giggling when you squeezed them. I mean, it's not like it made you a cup of coffee or anything, you know, it just, it was just, it was just, you know, made, it just giggled. And, you know, or, or if you had a daughter in the 2000s, here was one that was really crazy. Uh, one of the hot toys was called a Bratz doll. A Bratz doll, B-R-A-T-Z doll. Yeah, personally, I really never understood why any parent would be in a hurry to buy a doll for their kid uh, that uh, behaved disrespectfully. But that's what it did. It, it would say disrespectful things. But if those aren't bad enough, I got to tell you, you got to go back to like some of our generations to, uh, to really get to the crazy stuff. Uh, if you go back to the 70s, I think this is one of the strangest must-have gifts of any Christmas past. Anybody want to guess what it was? What? Okay, Chucky's good, but that wasn't that. One of the craziest things that ever was a hot gift in the 70s. Yeah, okay, there you go. Well, good, we've all... Cabbage Patch. Good guess. Good guess. But that's a little after that. Uh uh, this one, this one, you're gonna you're gonna wonder why we all did our best to forget about it. Okay, who? Daisy? No, one. That, that, well, I don't know about that one, but I'll tell you the one that was the biggest, hottest, craziest thing: pet rocks. Pet rocks. Yeah, they they, they very importantly they came in a box that had holes in it so the rock could breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your pet rock could breathe. Okay. You know, now the, the upside about this gift, right, was you didn't have to walk it or feed it, right? The downside was it wasn't any fun. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't do anything. It didn't, it, you know, you couldn't play with it. So no surprise, no surprise that that fad died very quickly. And, and very soon after Christmas, a large number of semi-domesticated rocks were soon returned into the wild. So uh, now... 
Now, you know, we think, well, we've grown, we've come so far, right? You know, we, can't, we can't be that. Okay, well, okay, so this year, I just did a little work online a couple of days ago, actually, and this is one of the hottest must-have gifts this year. Yeah, yeah, that is a Star Wars Baby Yoda. Yeah, and uh, if you find one under your tree, you'll, you'll know that, you know, you were well thought of, okay, because that's, that's one of the hot gifts. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. So, here's the point. Every year, millions of parents are desperately hoping that this year will be different, right? That this will be the year that they can line up just the right toy at just the right time and make Christmas morning, you know, super special for the kids. And for some of us now, we're coming back around because now it's grandkids. You know, you're still doing it, right? Trying to find just that right thing that will bring them joy more than for just the length of the day. You know, uh, I mean, think about all the toys that kids, we've given them, kids or grandkids over the years, that they play with it for, I don't know, two hours. And then the next time you're there, it's in the back of a closet somewhere. You know, it's broken. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't, most things don't hold people's interest for very long because they just move on to the next thing. Okay? So, but no matter what happens, parents keep trying. Right? They keep buying, hoping that this year will be different. What's great is that in today's message is that the very first Christmas present that the world ever received was totally different. The Bible tells us in Luke 2, 8 through 12, that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Ever thought of the fact that when the shepherds were out in the fields nearby, they didn't know it was Christmas Eve yet? I mean, just think about it. We call it Christmas Eve. They didn't know it was Christmas Eve. They just thought it was a night at work. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, to help you understand what a thing this is, right? So the shepherds were out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will cause great Joy for all the people, because today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Luke goes on a little bit in Luke 2, 16 to 18. He says, so this is the shepherds. He says, so they hurried off once they had heard this. And they found Mary, Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Okay, this Christmas present was different. This was different. The problem with toys and most of the things we buy in our lives, even today as adults, the things we buy for ourselves, um, don't ever bring us as much joy as we hope they will, do they? You know, and one of the problems is we, we get affected by what economists call the law of diminishing returns. Now, let me read you what the law of diminishing returns is, okay? It's an economic principle that as your investment in a particular area increases, your rate of profit from that investment after a certain point cannot continue to increase if all other variables remain constant. Everybody got that? There'll be a test later. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say that to you in normal language, okay? 
This is simply put. If you could give a four-year-old their first Christmas, their first toy, would they really enjoy it? If you can give a four-year-old their first toy, would they really enjoy it? Yeah, they'd probably really enjoy it, right? If you got the right one, okay? they really enjoy it. So if you give a four-year-old their first toy, they would really enjoy it, okay? They would probably continue to get joy from the second toy and maybe even the third toy. But by the time you give them the tenth toy, it just goes into the pile of toys. Does that make sense? Okay. That, it, it won't generate much new or additional joy. Okay. So that's what's meant by diminishing returns. If you keep doing the same, get more of the same thing. Okay. If I drink one bottle of Coke, it tastes really good. But if you make me drink five, <laughs> I don't get joy. Okay. I get sick. But the, but the first Christmas gift, it was, it was just a different sort of gift altogether because as the shepherds have shown us, when they encountered Jesus, in encountering him, it's a different kind of experience. It's not one that you fill up on and don't want any more of. It's, it's, it had such an impact that not only did they receive it and understand joy, but this gift had filled in them, filled this, this void that they didn't even know they had that was one of lasting hope and joy. And not only were they not going to forget it, put it in the back of the closet, never to look at it again, they couldn't contain it. Remember what it says. It says they had to go out and tell everybody. They had to go share it. It was, it was this joy that has been poured into them was not just, you know, one that, like, oh, it's for me. They knew this was something that, it, it, because it overflowed within them, they wanted to share it. They had to share it. Thirty years later, after that encounter, Jesus gave all of us insight on this sort of hope and joy for our lives because he said in John 15, 11, he said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And as a result, that your joy may be complete. Look, there's about 250 verses in the Bible that deal with joy. You know that? If you read them all, uh, you're going to find something about them. And that's that the Bible doesn't just encourage us to experience joy. It commands us to have it. It commands us to have it. In fact, did you know that the Bible commands us to rejoice twice as many times as it tells us to repent? How about that? Having joy, God wants you and me to be filled and overflowing with joy. If I'm experiencing the joy of God in my life, don't you think I'll probably want to repent and not, to not allow sin to get in the way of my relationship with the God that fills me up with joy? You don't, you don't have to tell people. <laughs> they want to. We're, we're not just given permission to laugh or have, you know, some fun times. Look, God wants your life and mine to be constantly filled and overflowing with joy. The shepherd's joy was a result of what God had done. And as a result, their hope, their wonder, and their life-changing joy began when they first heard about Jesus. And then their joy grew even greater just when they got there and saw him. 
Joy begins for us the same way it began for the shepherds. It begins with us hearing about and then meeting Jesus. Without that foundation, how can we hope to have lasting joy? It'll just be like another toy that we'll grow tired of and put in the back of the closet of our lives. Very few things last forever. But an encounter with Jesus remains and grows throughout all eternity. Meeting Jesus never stops impacting, shaping, and transforming our lives. It never stops giving us hope and opportunities to experience new levels of joy. So, can we all agree that having joy would be a good thing? Yeah, that we all want to experience that kind of joy? Yeah. So then, then let's just talk for a minute about how, how can we have that hope and experience that level of joy? Well, first thing is, let's embrace the hope and joy that has been given to us. Right? The Apostle Paul demonstrates this in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Do you notice that's a command? The Bible commands us to have joy. That's not a, hey guys, it'd be a good idea for you to have some joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. So one important part of walking in hope and joy is simply to choose to rejoice in everything. Catch that. Choose to rejoice in everything. Think about this. Much of the hope and joy and rejoicing in the Bible is not connected to circumstances. It's connected with a decision to rejoice in any circumstances. As a result, one of the keys to a life of joy and peace, it's, it's, it's when the circumstances, we want to rejoice even when the circumstances are disappointing. We rejoice. Even when they're painful, we, we rejoice. Take, for example, there's a great example of the Bible. And it's, a, it's this amazing prayer from the, the prophet uh, Habakkuk. Okay? Uh, the prophet prays to God at a time when Israel is in a mess. They're in a state of disarray. It's like if it could go wrong, it's going wrong. Okay? Wickedness, idolatry rules the lands. The Assyrians were threatening to overwhelm them. And as I'm going to read this uh, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18, what I want you to do is pay attention to both the circumstances that the prophet's in as well as Habakkuk's response. So the situation and how he responds to it, okay? So Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Habakkuk writes, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vines. That's bad if you're an agricultural society, Right? Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there there are oh, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's something, isn't it? There's not much more that could be going wrong. But Habakkuk's response is to rejoice. And not just to rejoice, but to be joyful. I think that's kind of amazing. Okay? I mean, if you think about you and me, how we normally live our lives, right? Uh, normal path for things to follow is 
something good happens to you, right? And then you feel happy. We, something that causes you to be joyful, and then you rejoice. Our prospects look good. Hope fills our hearts. The Bible actually tells us, well, that's fine, but actually it works the other way around. It actually works the other way around. You start with a decision to rejoice, and then you feel joy. Like the shepherds, we always have a reason to rejoice because Christ has come, and joy flows out of our rejoicing. So first, we want to embrace the hope and joy that we've been given. Second thing is we want to choose the hope and joy that can't be taken away. The toys will break. The toys will break, or the batteries will die, or they won't make that size battery anymore, or something, right? But, but the toys we buy in our lives, and, and we realize as kids it's the little whatever, right? But for some of us, we get older, if we're not careful, the toys in our lives turn into much more expensive things. Cars and certain electronics that somebody, you know, you know it's just, it's the stuff of life that people think they can buy and find joy with, and it never satisfies Okay. But Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, that's a verse that we all use for a lot of things. Okay. But who can claim that verse? Who is that verse written to to claim? Does that apply to just anybody that says everything that's going on to everybody in the world? God's, gonna, God's using that? No. What? Who does this apply to? Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Okay? So, the good news is, for that group of people, for us as followers of Jesus, okay, if we're living our lives according to God's plan, we're, living, we're not living a sinful life, right? But I'm, we're living a life that is honoring God, then we can say that, you know, when it says all things, I mean, the good news is all things is all things. It's not some things. It's not the convenient things. It's, it's, it's all things. Okay? So, so when that's you, so if that verse applies to you because you're a follower of Jesus and living a life that's pleasing to him, then here's the thing you can know for sure because of what that verse says. It says then that so no matter what you're going through, when you're a follower of Jesus, you can be absolutely certain that whatever happens, one of two things is going on here. Okay? Either God has allowed it to happen in your life or God is going to use it in your life. Here's a practical example. Next time for you just to think about, to try this out. Next time you find yourself in a tough spot. We'll all find ourselves there at some point probably. You may be disappointed over something. That's, that's happened, okay? Uh, maybe you make a costly financial mistake. Uh, or maybe, here's one that I'm sure never happened to any of us. You may say something that you regret later, and you know you need to go apologize for to try and make it right, okay? You know, you're in a situation that you wish hadn't happened. And it could really steal your joy. Okay, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want, you, I want to encourage you to rejoice. I want you to I'll encourage you to say, God, 
I wish I hadn't done this, but Lord, I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to trust you, I, you because you're good, and, and, and trust it to him. Not that you're in a mess, but that God is going to use this situation either is to teach you something that you need to know. And then give God praise and rejoice. That approach can change the way we go through all sorts of difficulties in our lives. Not that you're ever going to desire them. I don't want difficult times. I know you don't either. But we know we'll find ourselves in some. So it's, it's how are we going to respond? How are we going to, to handle it? And this is the way that God has called us to. Maybe for the first time, you can experience joy in the middle of a difficult time, even though it is difficult. In the Old Testament, remember when the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were in the desert? The Israelites really had a problem uh, with two areas of sin kind of early on. And, and, and I realize this is a hard question out of context here, but anybody remember what their two major sins were early on in the desert? One of them or two, you know, whatever. Complaining, yeah. Well, complaining was certainly one. Anybody other, remember the other one? Idols. Yeah, they, they made idols, okay? But, but, but they were worshiping idols, but, but they were complaining, okay? Their complaining displeased God, right? So, so, so this whole thing about the joy that can't be taken away, okay, uh, complaining displeases God. Okay, some of us need to be reminded that complaining and grumbling are sins. Okay, um, for example, you know, uh, again, this doesn't apply to anyone here. You know, I know, you know, but, but you know, com- complaining about your boss, complaining about your relatives, whether the ones that you just were with or the ones that are about to come, you know, complaining about your friends. It's dishonoring. It devices, and it demonstrates a lack of trust in God, doesn't it? You really get down to it. It really demonstrates a lack of trust in God. In the same way that rejoicing will restore your joy and protect it, complaining steals it. Because let me ask you a question, and you can hold up your hands because we're, we're not going to point at who they are. Okay. But, but how many of you know somebody that complains a lot? You know anybody that complains a lot? Yeah, okay. W- would you consider that? Now, again, we're not going to name names here, okay? But would you consider that person joyful? I mean, really. Isn't it kind of like that people who complain, complain? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, they complain a lot. They, they complain about everything. They complain... They, you kind of wonder, do you ever have a good day? You know? I mean, they're, they're the kind of people, you know, that like it could be blue and sunny, and you could say, it's a beautiful day, and they say, yeah, it might rain. I mean, I mean, it's like they can't even joy, enjoy and find joy in the thing that's literally right in front of them. Okay? Okay, you know, look, these are not people you love being around, are they? No. And And... Here's really the worst part. Complaining 
does not help. Complaining does not change anything. All it does is make you worse, the complainer, right? It just makes you worse. So can I, can I say something to you lovingly? If you find yourself complaining, you should stop. <laughs> you should just stop, right? I mean, because it's not helping. And, and the people around you, it's not helping them. Complaining, in fact, what it does, it just opens the door for Satan to steal your joy. That's really what it does. So it doesn't help. And the third thing is don't settle for less. Don't refuse to settle for less than the joy that God can give. Um, you know, there's just this other undeniable theme that's connected to our continued hope and growing joy found throughout the Bible, clearly seen in Psalm 51. This is a powerful passage. It was written by David after he had had that affair with Bathsheba, right? And he had arranged for her husband to be killed. Okay, you know, in, in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, first thing David says in verse 3 and 4, he says, My sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So David recognizes that he's calling out to God saying, Man, my, I can't even get away from my sin. It's right here in front of me, and, and against you I've sinned. The high point of this psalm is found in verse 12, though, where David prays. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David understands that, that sitting there and moaning about what he did isn't going to make it better. It's how, it's how he responds, and he responds by confessing his sin to God and then saying, please, restore to me the joy of your salvation. First thing to notice is that David brings his life back into alignment with God's truth and God's word. Our sins almost always look can bring some kind of temporary pleasure, some fun, it may seem like, at the moment. But we all know that in the end, our sinful behaviors will steal our hope and crush the joy that we could otherwise have in our life. That's why... David also wrote in Psalm 19, verse 8, because he realized this, he said, the precepts of the Lord are right. Giving joy to the heart, joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So if you want your eyes to light up, you want to feel like you're coming alive, you want to live with an unmistakable joy, then it's really simple. We just need to choose to do things God's way. When we do things God's way, life is so much better than when we try to figure it out on our own. C.S. Lewis, many of you have read some of his stuff. He wrote this, there's a quote I'm going to read to you from him, he, in a book called The Weight of Glory. Okay? So this I'm quoting C.S. Lewis now. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. 
Lewis sums it up with, we are far too easily pleased. The truth of eternal life alone, we really understand. Look, we just too easily forget what it was the angel was announcing, right? We, we hear it. It becomes like the holiday thing. We all read the Luke 2 thing. We kind of go, okay, read my, read my Christmas verses. You know, but, but we don't let it soak in every year and let it create the wonder and joy in us that it did when the angels heard it. Remember, the, 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 shepherds, the shepherds did not know it was Christmas Eve. That, this was really news to them. This wasn't the 30th time they'd heard it or the 50th time. This was the first time these things had ever been spoken on the earth. And they were the ones that heard it, and it brought this joy. So let's not be so easy to forget what it was that the angel was announcing to the shepherds, and let's let it affect us the same way it did them. Let's, let's not too easily forget what it means that a Savior has been born to us. And if you think of that then, what you really come to realize is that just the fact and the truth in our lives of eternal life with Jesus alone is really, um, if we really understand what that means for us, then it's more than enough to give us cause to rejoice in any situation that we're in, isn't it? Yeah. Our, our joy is lost when we forget that Jesus' arrival on earth, what that meant to our lives, to your life, to my life, so we search for it, as C.S. Lewis said, by making mud, pli mud pies in the slum of what the world offers rather than seeking the immeasurable riches of God that comes with meeting and loving Jesus. Jesus and his gift of salvation is our source of hope, and it's our cause for joy. So refuse all substitutes. Refuse to settle for less than that. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? So, um, one more question. Nobody has to answer, just in your own heart. But when you think of Christians, do you see images of people who are full of hope and joy? People who are making the most out of every moment? I know that life can be hard, and look, we... But we know the news that the shepherds heard, that the Savior had come. And in him we're saved. So in him we have victory. And in him we can have hope that can never be taken from us. As well as experience that amazing joy. In John eight thirty six, he wrote, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So let's live our lives like we're saved, like we're loved, and let's see every moment as an opportunity to rejoice. Every moment as an opportunity to overflow with joy. The shepherds rejoiced when they were told about Jesus and they went joyfully in search of him. I want to be like the shepherds. How about you? Yeah. I want to be like the shepherds and truly understand that the best Christmas gift ever was the first one. So, today... If you want to commit to radiating joy and overflowing with hope and joy, as well as rejoicing in all circumstances, raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Lord, you see our hands. God, today we ask you, because Lord,
Help us to experience the great joy that the shepherds witnessed that night. Lord, just put a spark within us to help us really sense the awe and wonder of that amazing sight and the message they received and the impact that it had on their lives. Lord, that it caused them to need to go and, and not only see and experience and their joy grew even stronger, but then they had to go share it with others. Lord, it was too great. It was too wonderful. It was too much joy to contain privately within themselves. They had to go share it because it was so good. It was so exciting and brought so much joy. They wanted others to experience it. And Lord, the wonderful thing about your joy is when we share it, we don't run low. Our cup never runs out. Lord, whatever we pour out, you just keep filling it back in. So thank you, Father, for the endless joy that we can experience with you, the endless hope that we can have with you. So, Father, we've seen our hands, and we just ask you now, Lord, to give us the strength, the trust, the faith, and the confidence in you, Lord, that even in tough times, to say our response will be to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, they rejoice. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.